0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you today a part of a story from Guy Bevington's book, Remarkable Miracles. If you remember when I last shared with you from this wonderful story of God's grace and mercy, he had been just incredibly praying through for Tom and for his wife, both of whom were completely absorbed in alcohol drugs. And he prayed them through to complete victory, and they were clean. And then he married them again. They'd been separated for a number of years by their addictions and their wickedness. He'd been preaching at this mission. Now, just a word of definition. Missions were places where churches opened ministries, particularly among the poor at the turn of the century. And often churches would go together to form these missions. This specific mission, one night the Methodists were there, the next night, The Baptists were there. And so each night, a different church would have their time for ministry in the mission. And Guy Bevington, evangelist, pastor, holiness preacher, came and was preaching each night, five nights in a row, at this mission. And you remember Tom came stumbling in as an alcoholic and the boss man, as he put it, said to put Tom out and he would not let them put Tom out. Well, it caused all kinds of upset in the control of the mission. They fired the director of the mission and then brought him back after the victory. But when the dust settled, the churches agreed that Guy Bevington would no longer be allowed to preach because his preaching made them extremely uncomfortable. He was a preacher of holiness. He taught that sin must be overcome entirely, must be destroyed by the power of the Spirit. And if it were not destroyed entirely, if it still reigned in a person's life, he taught that that person would not and could not enter into the kingdom of God. Now, he was not the only one that taught that. If you go back to the name of this broadcast, Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan preached the same thing that a man had to come in by way of the gate, who was Jesus Christ, and had to go to the cross where he was crucified, where he gave up everything, where this man would then turn away from all sin and would gain entire victory through Jesus Christ. Now, he was a Reformed Baptist, but he did not believe that a man could keep his salvation and continue to walk in sin. Bunyan believed that a man could rebuild what he had destroyed by coming into faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Bevington believed the same thing, even though he was a holiness preacher and not a Reformed preacher. Now part of why I want to share this story with you is because my heart is very stirred and and in great anguish over the casualness of God's people. It almost seems that the majority of God's people today are so casual toward holiness and toward heaven, that they are indifferent to it. The common belief of the Christian church in America is that a man can continue to walk in his sin and still be saved. That a man can still walk in his sin and still be saved. It's a lie, and what it's done has dumbed down the people of God and taught them to be secure in a lie. And so there is no earnest hungering after God, no weeping, no fasting, very little prayer. All of this must change. Now, I want to share a story with you about what Brother Bevington did after he was put out of the mission. Now, I do have to tell you that they were at least kind enough to allow him to have a room in which he could rest and he could pray regarding his next assignment. This man lived entirely by faith. What I mean is that he did not do fundraising. He waited on God. And God moved with power for the deliverance of sinners. I want that same wonderful power in my life. And I pray for you daily that as you listen to this broadcast, your heart will be stirred that you will take action, that you will stop being casual, that there will be a fire in your heart that says, I must have Jesus. No matter what, I must have Jesus. I, I apologize for my voice today. I've had laryngitis. That's why I wasn't here yesterday. But by the grace of God, I'm going to share with you material that will quicken your heart and cause earnestness to arise in your spirit. And you will say, I must have Jesus. He puts it this way, after I was put out of the mission and looking for direction, I went to a businessman's prayer meeting in a rented meeting room. After dinner, someone would read a short lesson and then give time for requests for prayer. Then they would get down and pray for about 30 minutes. Remember, this is early, early 1900s. There was still then a, a hunger for God. Today, if you tried to hold a businessman's prayer meeting five days a week, you would have no one show up, or only two or three at most. He was invited to this prayer meeting by the manager of the mission. Let me read on. With some 50 or 60 men attending, it was a beautiful time. The leader of the mission He's the one who took me the first time, and he introduced me to the group, and he told the story of Tom and Liz and their wonderful deliverance. At the next meeting, they handed me the Bible, and I read for them Romans four, fourteen through 25 and I especially emphasize the verses that tell of Abraham. They all seemed delighted with that and invited me back to read another lesson. And so I went, and I read and I talked with them about faith and obedience. We had 12 minutes in which to read and then speak. When they'd all turned in their requests for prayer, the man who led the group, told about a long-standing trouble that he had. He had related it to others often, but said he wanted me to hear it. When he finished, I stood and spoke for about ten minutes, and then I said, My dear brother, I am sure that Jesus can heal you, and I believe he wants to. Oh, I wish he did, was the reply. He said he had not walked to his office for 13 years and that he had to hire everything done for him. He kept the hire of two women and a doctor full time. He had also not slept a natural sleep for some 10 years. Feeling we should pray for his body right then, I knelt down, and I became real still before God. Our faith began to take hold for this man. I laid my hands upon him, and I received a real blessing from God as soon as I touched him. Praising God, I said, "'Brother, you're a healed man.' Didn't you feel the touch of Jesus? Meekly, he replied, I'm sorry, sir. I have to tell you the truth. I feel no change whatsoever. Well, it doesn't matter. You're a healed man, and you will sleep tonight as good as you've ever slept in your life, and you will do it without any medicine. And that's not all you will walk to your office tomorrow morning. I noticed after my words that there was a general exchange of doubtful looks, even some jeering looks. Nothing was said as the men all quietly walked out. They were usually given to shaking hands at the close of each daily meeting. But this day... Everyone walked out with a bowed head. No one shook hands with me, and so I returned to my room at the mission. Satan was waiting there, and he promptly began to tear at me. He said, you've gone too far down here among these southerners. You're not up north, you know. These people cannot take so strong a diet as you give them I had to go down on my knees in order to ascertain the source of this admonition. And I immediately felt a confirmation that it was definitely from Satan. I went back to the meeting the next day. But as I was a little late, I took a seat in the back. The singing was finished, and the leader stood for a short message and then he called for prayer requests, and several were given. Satan whispered to me, See, it's just as I told you. You went too far yesterday. He is not a healed man, for if he was, he would have said so. He never mentioned a thing. If you hadn't brought up the walk to the office and a good night's sleep, you might have gotten away with it but you went entirely too far. I said, Satan, you're a liar. I did not go too far. And if I had to do it all over again, I would go even further. Now please let me stop. Some of you listening to this message are so timid that as soon as the devil begins to whisper something into your ear, you take it as the gospel and you back up, and you don't stand strong. Now, some of you are in a hard place. Some of you don't have enough money to pay rent for this month. Some of you don't have a job. Some of you are in very trying and painful circumstances. I know the Holy Spirit has told me so. And many times God has come to deliver you. But every time he's tried to deliver you, the devil has come and you have believed the devil and not the deliverance of God. You will never receive the deliverance of God until you tell Satan to get out of your life. Now many of you are afraid to tell Satan to get out of your life because you know he still owns your life. You know that you still are walking in sin against God. And God, you know, will not answer a prayer for a man or woman who is still walking in rebellion against him. So you can pray for financial deliverance. You can pray for that job. You can pray for all kinds of things and nothing's going to happen. It's not going to happen first because as soon as you begin to pray, a sin comes dancing before your eyes. And you turn your eyes away from the sin and you pray even harder regarding whatever it is that you want God to give you or do for you until finally you give up prayer altogether and you say it doesn't work. You're captive to the devil, and yet there is something in your heart that longs to be free or you would not be listening to this preacher. You've listened a number of times and you know what to expect. You know I'm going to be straight with you and unvarnished. I'm going to speak the truth to you. Sometimes you've become angry and offended and you turn the radio off but you've come back to listen again today because the truth draws your heart. But what are you going to do about your sin that dances before your eyes every time you go to talk to the Lord Jesus? Now I can tell you out of my experience, a very painful time, that sometimes I didn't know what the sin was. Sometimes my rebellion against God was so natural to me that I had stopped considering it as sin. And yet when I desperately needed to get to God, I went into His presence. I lay on the carpet before Him and I began to plead for His mercy, and all I could see was a fence. I was fenced out of God's presence. I was fenced out of the throne room of God. That condition went on in my heart for many, many months, and I almost died because I could not get to God. I lost my car. I lost my house. I lost my savings. I lost everything before I could finally get to God. Now, he gave me back everything, but what a horrendous experience it was. I'm very concerned that some of you are so far from God that if you began today to try to reach God, you'd die before you could get to him. Not because he's a long way off, but because you're a long way off. Because there's sin in such abundance in your life. There's such independence. There's such rebellion. And as soon as God gives you a little relief, you go immediately back to your sin. It breaks my heart. Time after time, I've, I've watched as people have come to the National Prayer Chapel. They've been in a very difficult situation. They've been in a dire emotional, physical difficulty. And we've prayed for God's mercy. And he's granted them a little mercy. And they've taken it like a bit in a horse's mouth. And off they've charged, still worshiping at the idol that they have loved so much. For some, it's the idol of a a man. For some, it's the idol of a woman. For some, it's the idol of money. For some, it's the idol of self Charging off after their idol. And then everything turns even more desperate and they say, why is God treating me this way? Because you refuse to leave your idols. You refuse to turn aside from your wickedness. God grant you a little relief and off you go. The children of Israel. They were given a little relief as their return from Babylon. the book of Ezra, he comes to teach them the deep things of God, and then he discovers that the leaders and the people are beginning to intermarry and have children with pagans around them. This was expressly, expressly commanded by God that they not do this. And Ezra is, oh, he is so overcome. He throws himself on the ground in the courtyard and he begins to weep. He begins to pull his hair out. He begins to rip his garments. And he's crying, oh God, just when you begin to have a little mercy on us, your people have gone back to their sins for which you cast them out of you, of your land. Is utterly broken-hearted. I feel that way for many of you. Some of you have come and and you've walked with me at the National Prayer Chapel. And when you couldn't get your way, when God didn't Move quickly enough on your behalf. You said, I'm going to go do it myself. Some of you became angry at me because you said all I would do was wait on God. One man said, you're not stepping out by faith, pastor. You have an anointing upon you. Step out in the anointing and do great things for God. Are you kidding me? Really? Do you mean that? It's God who does great things, not man. It's not my place to step out and do great things for God. It's my place to humbly bow before the Lord and only do what he tells me to do and obey his commands and not walk in arrogance before him and not try to build something great. It's not my place to build something great. It's God's place. And if he wants to build something great, he can use me or he can use you or he can use any other instrument that will humble their heart before him and wait upon him and leave their sin behind and walk perfect before God, walk in love before God, walk in humility before God, giving up all of our idols, casting them away seeking the face of Jesus. Oh, don't put me down with the legacy of doing great things for God. Put me down as one who loved God and my brother and sister. Put me down as a man who humbly turned aside from great things and simply sought the face of God. That's all the legacy I desire. A man who sought God with all of his heart. A man who waited upon God. A man who loved his brother and sister. A man who did not condemn, but prayed for God's mercy. That's the legacy I desire. My heart is is broken for brothers and sisters who in pride and arrogance and anger and bitterness run off to create their own lives only to be cast down, to be denied the blessing of Jesus, to be denied the love and mercy of the Lord, to be cast into hell, Jesus said in that great day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not do great things in your name? And he will say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Our telephone number is 877-534-0780. If you'd like to call, you're welcome, to. I'd love to talk to you. 877-534-0780. Let's go back to Brother Bevington. I said, Satan... You're a liar. I did not go too far and if I had if I had it to do over, I'd do it even further. I'd be more bold, I'd be stronger. Well we all prayed for the next 30 minutes until the closing prayer. The leader never said a word about what had happened and what I'd said to him the previous day. So Satan, reminded me again that I needed to learn discretion and common sense in my dealing with Southerners. I stood my ground. I said, Satan, he is a healed man. He is a healed man. Satan said, You really don't have any sense at all, do you? If he was healed, he would have told everyone. And he went back at it in that back seat. We finally all stood, and the leader began to give the closing remarks. I lifted a prayer. Lord, make him confess his healing. Lord, make him confess he's a healed man. Break him up. Break him up so he has to confess your power. The man tried to close the meeting, but his mouth began to quiver. I saw he was determined to be a coward about speaking out the truth. So I pressed my claim all the heavier to the Father. suddenly the man broke out weeping. Finally, he contained himself. And raising his right hand, he pointed to me. That man's prayers were answered last night. This morning I must admit that I am a healed man. Last night I never slept. I never slept better without any medicine. I was too sleepy when I remembered my medicine to get up and get it. And what this brother said was absolutely true. I slept like a baby all night. The next morning, the next thing I knew, my wife had come in and was shaking me and saying, What's the matter with you this morning? Come on, breakfast is ready and waiting. You're going to miss the first trolley car. He went on to tell how he realized he had slept just as I'd said he would. He hurried and dressed, and he went outside to the streetcar. The streetcar had left without him, and he knew it would be another hour before he could catch the next car. When I had made the assertion that he would be walking to his office that morning. I'd never dreamed he lived so far from it. I was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and just said what the Spirit gave me to say. Had I known that he lived more than three miles from his office, the Spirit no doubt would have had a great deal of trouble getting me to take that strong position that I'd taken. But as I was ignorant of this fact, the Holy Spirit was able to work through me. It is sometimes best to not know all the facts. When the man saw the car was gone, he decided to walk down the street away, as he did feel quite well. He didn't even think about what I'd said about walking all the way to the office that morning. He just kept going slowly but he was gaining strength every foot of the way. And several times he thought to himself, I must be healed. I feel so well. He was beginning to warm up to his story now. I just kept on walking and all the while speeding up a bit. When I got within five blocks of my office, He said, I looked back and I saw the trolley car coming, and I thought I'd get on it then, but I suddenly remembered what Brother Bevington had said, so I just walked on. Upon entering my office, I discovered one of the girls had not come into work. I took her place and had been working all morning thus far. I phoned her to tell her she might. Stay at home all day. Brethren, he said with both hands, lifted in praise to the Most High God, I am without a doubt a healed man. The glory of God fell. And what a time of praise we had. They tore loose from all conventionalities, from programs, from schedules, from everything. It was almost an hour past our normal departure time when we finally agreed that we must leave that room. Everybody shook hands with me that day. No one had their heads bowed. Everyone's hands were raised up as they sang and shouted their joy as they left that meeting. He writes, we need to learn to take our stand and then remain standing right there. We need to find where God wants us to stand and just stay right there and not move. Some of you, as you listen to this broadcast today, need to take a stand against your sin. You need to go before God And get honest with him. You need to confess your sin before God. You need to be honest with God about who you are. You know you've been lying to yourself and to God. It's no use. Pay the price. Get honest with God. Tell him all about it. He already knows. I know you don't want to tell God about it because if you tell him about it, you know you're going to have to let him take it. I had a man a man once say to me, Pastor, I've been trying to stop smoking for 20 years. I just can't stop. I said, well, let me pray for you. And so I prayed for him, for the power to stop smoking. The next week I saw him and I said, have you the victory? He said, no, pastor, I I went out from you and I had a cigarette. I said, I know. You don't want to quit smoking because you love your smokes. But you think you're supposed to give it up. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. But you love your sin. I said, now, we're going to have to change the prayer. Are you ready? Well, okay, pastor. I put my hands on his head. I said, Lord, this man loves his sin. He loves smoking his cigarettes. I said, I'm asking now, Jesus in your mighty name, if you would make this man sick every time he smokes. I'm asking, Lord, if you would make this man hate his smoking. So would you make him sick every time he picks one up? Thank you, Jesus. I know you've heard me. Amen. Well, he went out. He felt just the same about his cigarettes, but you know what happened that week? Every time he picked up a cigarette to smoke it, he got sick. Made him sick. Until finally he sat on the edge of his bed one morning and he said, I hate these cigarettes. They're making me sick. And he put his cigarettes down. And he never touched them again. It was over. Some of you have prayed... And you've said, Lord, would you save me from my lust? And then you've gone out and done the same thing all over again. Some of you have said, Lord, would you save me from my temper? And you've gone out and got angry all over again. Some of you have said, Lord, would you save me from my pride? You've gone out and been proud again. I know why. You love your sin. You love your sin more than heaven. One man said, Pastor, would you pray for me about my gluttony? Yes, I'll pray for you. And he was fatter the next week he came. He finally decided that he would have surgery on his stomach because God couldn't break his gluttony. Do you believe that? It's not true. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ can break any bondage of sin. The problem was he loved his food more than he loved Jesus. But he knew his physical life was threatened, so he wanted to have the surgery on his stomach so that he couldn't eat so much but he still loved his gluttony. So now he's a glutton who can't eat as much. So the sin is still in his heart. He's still a lost man. But he thinks he's righteous now because he can't eat so much. What wickedness of heart we come up with. Anything to prevent ourselves from hating our sin. Now, you have to know the difference between you hating your sin and Satan telling you the blood of Jesus can't break the power of the sin in your life. But I can tell you now, the power of that sin will not be broken in your life until you hate it. Until you see what it is doing in the lives of other people. until you see the wickedness that is destroying your family, until you see the people who cannot come to Jesus because of your religiosity. One dear woman with tears told me about an office that she works in, in Washington, D.C., where her superintendent, her boss is a reverend. She is a woman pastor. She preaches from the pulpit. But she is the devil itself. And she cusses a blue streak. And this precious young woman, with tears flowing down her face, says, I would rather hang out with the pagans at my work than those who call themselves Christians. Because they all live like the devil. And they cuss and they swear. And they backbite. And they stab. And they kill. They're wicked, but they call themselves Christians. And so with tears flowing down her face, she said, I'd rather be friends with the pagans than with those who call themselves Christians because they're so wicked. They're more wicked than the pagans. The problem is those so-called Christians. Those so-called Christians. Are not Christians. They're pagans with a spray paint of the cross about them. They're cotton candy. They're false. Until you hate your sin you will not follow Jesus Christ. But if you will turn against your sin, against yourself, and you will hate your sin, Jesus will deliver you. He'll set you free. But pastor, you ask, how do I hate my sin when I love it? You learn to hate your sin by not just seeing what you're doing to other people with your sin. You learn to hate your sin by seeing Jesus, by seeing him in all of his beauty, all of his purity, all of his love and mercy. You begin to hate your sin when you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, please, would you put a hatred in my heart for this sin? Will you make me hate this lust? Will you make me hate this pride? Will you make me hate this bitterness of heart? Then Jesus will begin to move. And he will bring into your heart a hatred for wickedness. Now our phone number in studio is 877-534-0780. Are there any of you listening who are brave enough, who love your sin, who would, who would call and say, Pastor, would you pray with me that I would hate my sin? Are you brave enough to do that? Will you choose Jesus today over yourself and let me pray for you that you would hate your sin? That's the first step in finding deliverance, and walking free in Jesus Christ. That number is 877-534-0780. I'm Ray Greenley. I'm pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I invite you to come if you're ready to deal with your sin. If you're ready to hate your sin, If you're ready to get clean with God or if you're already clean but you need a place where you can fellowship with other Christians who are walking clean before God and you have a heart to cry out for revival in this nation, then I invite you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. We meet on Sunday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church on Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. Drive through the parking lot, go around to the back of the church, and there is a lower lobby entrance at ground level, and that's where you'll find the National Prayer Chapel, hidden away, seeking the face of God. If you'd like to be a part of the National Prayer Chapel, I welcome you to come. Many have come who were not Christian. And now they are earnest and devout followers of Jesus Christ. If you want that miracle of deliverance in your life, if you're tired of the church game, if you're tired of the the dog and pony show, you're tired of man being lifted up, if you're tired of all the, the show, And you need a place to worship. Then come and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. We're the least of God's children. You won't find people who are important. We're simply nobody. But we wait on God. And we walk clean before Him. For directions, go to nationalprayerchapel.com And there you'll find this video streaming live. And you'll also find other podcasts that are available for you. And you'll also find directions to come to church. So I welcome you to come. Welcome, Carrie. What would you like to share?
1: Hi, Pastor Greenley. Uh, I uh, I don't know. I don't know if you remember me or not. I've been to the National Prayer Chapel a couple times.
0: Carrie, I was praying for you this morning
1: thank you pastor um i don't know i'm sure i'm not alone in someone that um wants to love christ with all of my heart but i i keep finding myself returning to uh to sin and um i think in the past i've i've looked at sin some what how we classify sins as small sins and that's not a big deal but the um the Holy Spirit's convicted me that sin is sin. God doesn't grade sin. God hates sin. And um, just listening to your broadcast today, um, I, I would love if you would uh, pray for me that I would hate my sin and to uh, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly follow Christ the rest of my days.
0: Gary, I want to I want to tell you that this morning I was praying for you. Specifically by name, and I was asking God, What's happened to you? And I felt inspired and impressed by the Spirit to pray for you that God would light a fire under you. You know, the word to make righteous comes from that Greek word dikasune, which means to render, to put on a fire until the fat is cooked out. That's rendering. And I prayed and I said, Lord, would you light a fire under Carrie today? So I'm not surprised that you've called. The Lord heard my prayer for you this morning and I've asked him to light a fire under you. And I'm willing to pray with you now that you will hate your sin, but I want to tell you, Carrie, you're going to have to pay the price to come to a place where you can be held accountable. It's inconvenient, it's hard, but you have to be with other Christians who will speak God's word to your heart and hold you accountable. Am I making sense? Perfect sense. Because otherwise you're going to slip back and slip back until you'll finally just throw the rag in and say, I'm lost, I might as well just go to hell. I don't want you to do that. I am claiming you for the kingdom of God. I'm claiming you for victory in Jesus Christ. So let me pray with you. I'm going to ask you, Carrie, to pray first, and then I'm going to pray for
1: you. Lord, I thank you for the ministry of the Pilgrim's Progress and Pastor Greenley. I pray, Lord, that you would use him mightily in this program to reach, reach many people, Lord, who are struggling like I am. And, Lord, that you would break the bondage of sin, that we may freely serve you and walk cleanly before you, and not to keep struggling and to keep losing and defeat. I just pray, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out in a time that our country so desperately needs for men and women to stand up for Christ. Yes. And to speak the truth, and not only to speak the truth, but to live it, Lord. I, I pray that you would help us, strengthen us and cleanse us with your precious blood, Lord. That we could be a shining light. Yes. That we could be the salt of the earth, Lord. That many would come to you and want the freedom from the bondage, Lord. And want to know you to seek your face, Lord. I thank you again, Lord, for your mercy for this this faithful man who has given his life to lead people to you, Lord.
0: Lord Jesus, I pray for my precious brother, Carrie. Lord, you know I was in your presence this morning for him, and you have answered my prayer, and I thank you. And I now ask that you would increase the conviction in his heart. For, Lord, his sin stands between his wife and her salvation. Lord, his wife is never going to follow him unless he truly repents and gets clean. Lord, I'm asking for their salvation. I'm asking for his family's salvation. I'm asking, Lord, if you would put such a hatred in Carrie's heart towards sin, that he would utterly renounce it in your mighty name. That he would say, I've had it. It's enough. I'm going to go and get with Jesus. And I'm not going to turn back again. Lord, put the fire under him. Lord, justify him. Cook it out. Make him righteous before you. Enlarge the sin that he has made small. Lord, cause him not to be able to rest until he's cried out before your throne. Lord, in that little room where he works in his shop, Lord, turn him aside from his shop to heaven and cause him to cry out before you until this work is done in his heart. Lord, I know he can't be saved unless you and your mercy do this for him. For, Lord, he'll keep getting swept away until his heart grows so discouraged that he'll say it's hopeless. And he'll just throw it all over, Lord, for he's a man who is honest. He's either going to be a Christian or he's going to be a pagan. Lord, I ask that you would draw him now close into your heart. And break the power of sin over his life. And give him that absolute hatred for the sin. Lord, you said in Romans, the sixth chapter, that Jesus came to destroy, to annihilate, to remove sin from the life of a believer. Lord, Satan comes at at my dear brother, Carrie and says, you're going to go right back to it. Lord, the devil's going to come and tear at him. The devil's going to say wicked things to him. I pray, Lord, you'll give him the courage to stand up to the devil and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I am going to serve Jesus and Jesus alone. Oh, Lord, quicken him now by your Spirit. Move in power in his life. I just stand by faith that right now, the revelation of Jesus is again being given to his heart. And that hope is springing up. That he can follow you. That your blood is sufficient for him. And that it is by grace. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Carrie, I'll look for you and I will continue to pray for you, brother.
1: Thank you, Pastor.
0: You're welcome. I love you.
1: Love you too, Pastor. God bless you. great